she she backpacks she skis she rock climbs she ice climbs uh she likes to go uh, mountain biking with me she's just starting to get into a road bike uh actually found a friend of ours who loaned us a 43 centimeter bike so she could fit on it that's awesome so and those are hard to find little kids bikes like that uh so she's been welcome in all those areas and in, in fact actually some of the more extreme things like the rock climbing and ice climbing uh, the, the adults that we meet on those are usually like taken aback, like, wow, your kid is here and she's actually enjoying this. This is amazing. Welcome back uh, to Neighboring Podcast, a podcast by NeighborLink for Wayne, where we ask our friends, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And we have discussions around this. This is a, a topic that kind of drives at the heart of NeighborLink. What we're trying to do and, and learn about is oh, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? How do you become a better neighbor? And, and we think this is some of the solution to our community. And uh, some of the things we're looking for in life come from our personal journeys and in, in towards becoming a better neighbor. Uh, at NeighborLink, we have this thing called Team NeighborLink, which was created about uh, almost 10 years ago. It was a way to kind of incorporate our, our uh, work and life and vocations and all those things together. Many of us are kind of athletes, and so as we were uh, doing triathlons and racing bikes and uh, doing those things, we kind of like, why aren't we wearing our own gear? So we started with a gear, and we started creating cycling gear and running shirts rather than doing big events. The goal was how do we empower our volunteers and our friends to go raise awareness and funds on their own on their own schedules and their own intentionalities. Well, Team Neighborlink's really kind of grown from uh, ten or eleven people to a couple hundred athletes uh, that do all kinds of stuff. And we host over a dozen events each year. We've got cyclocross teams, we've got triathletes, a wide variety of things. And one of the things in the last couple of years, we've kind of joined up and partnered with uh, a local ride group. And uh, one of the one of the greatest things that Team Neighborlink does for us is it introduces us to all kinds of new people in our community that uh, we don't know, but they come out and we get to know them. And we're sitting here with one of those folks, uh, Jason Eicholtz, um, connected with Team NeighborLink about a year, year and a half ago through some of the rides and liked what we were doing. And uh, we've struck up uh, a bit of a friendship and acquaintance. And uh, one of the things Jason is doing that's really significant um, in his own personal life is this idea of using using his own desires and some of his own things and his interests uh, to engage his family and particularly his daughter to go and do these things. And one of the things at NeighborLink that we often find out is or we get lots of phone calls from parents who are like, hey, can my kids come volunteer or how old do they have to be and to volunteer? And we say, well, kids are always welcome. And uh, there's no age limit on kids or age requirement. If you are comfortable as a parent bringing your three-year-old out onto a project to rake some leaves, even if they can't actually do anything, then it's welcome because this should be a part of your lifestyle, not just a transaction. And uh, Jason does that with his daughter and a variety of things. So we thought we would have a conversation on this episode of Neighboring about kids and incorporating and what that looks like. So welcome, Jason. We'd love for you to introduce yourself and give our audience a bit more of your background. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, first off, um, yeah, I have a 10-year-old daughter and um, her and I have been doing a lot of uh, unusual outdoor activities together. And 
one of the things that kind of prompted me to talk to Andrew today as well as start some of the uh, projects that I have in my own time was the fact that most of her friends that she goes to school with are flabbergasted that she actually does a lot of these activities with me. Um, and that kind of spurred an idea that I created uh, called Adventure Widely was to get parents and kids together outdoors and not have parents just be participant or be spectators of what their kids do like in school sports, but to actually be participants with their kids. I think a lot of the bonding that happens with parents and children happen when parents are right there side by side experiencing the activity along with their child rather than just watching from the sidelines and cheering them on. Um, and you get kids that really feel empowered and they, I think their maturity level goes up quite a bit, at least it has with my own daughter and her friends that I've involved in these activities, with having them have to be responsible along the journey and actually be able to take safety and um, some of the group dynamics that goes along with these activities into consideration as well. Um, and these activities, for instance, some of them are, are not things that people would normally do. Like most of your kids that are 10 years old are probably playing soccer, they're play, playing softball. Yeah. Um, mine's rock climbing with me uh, down in Kentucky, or she's mountain biking with me here in Frankie Park in Fort Wayne. Uh, she likes to backpack. She loves to ski. Uh, this winter, she actually got her first chance of ice climbing. Wow. So some of these activities are, are very unusual for a 10-year-old, let alone for most of the adult population. Like These are very niche activities but all these activities um, one of the things that they really bring out in a 10 year old is her desire to be part of the group um, one of the videos I really created early on which surprisingly is one of my most popular ones on YouTube was how to pack a kid's backpack for backpacking and I learned early on my daughter's been doing this with me since she was six years old is that in order to really make her engaged and want to keep going back to these activities which Let's face it, now not everybody wants to sleep on the ground backpacking. It's not comfortable. Yeah. So kids, I think, are a little higher sensitivity to comfort when it comes to stuff like that, too. So having her want to come back and do these is really part of making her part of the group. So, for instance, when she was six, she carried her own sleeping bag. And she might carry maybe one or two pieces of the group gear, like, a, like the lantern that would go into the tent. Um, now that she's 10, she's carrying more important things. She might be carrying the water filter. Uh, if she messes that up, we're going to be thirsty. <laughs> so, and she knows that. And that's like one of the things that uh, she's really proud of is the fact that she can tr contribute to the group and make sure that the group's um, function and their survival out in the backcountry is part of her uh, responsibility. And I think that it raises her awareness of um, life and its fragility in that case as well because she has to think about these things and she talks to me about these, about how if, you know, if she loses that or if she drops it in the lake that... You know, we're going to have problems because they could get contaminated that way. So I think a lot of the stuff has, has really helped further and nurture her desire to be a good steward of the group and make sure that she's kind of looking after the group in her own way in a capacity that a 10-year-old can. Yeah, so that's a pretty big um, step towards understanding the group, taking responsibility for something. It sounds like you're having those conversations. Are those conversations that she's kind of developed and is asking in her own way or like you as a parent are kind of prompting her and talking about those things? How has that played out for you guys? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, there has been some things that she asked. Like, you know, she has asked before, like in the water filter case, for instance, you know, what happens if I drop this? Okay. And I've explained like, well, that takes bad things out of the water. So if you drop it into the water, then there's a chance that that bad stuff can get into our water bottles and that can make us sick. So those things that she's, she's learned by asking, some of the other things I've had to you know, help her with, like we hang up our food at night because we don't want animals to get into it. Uh, we frequently go out west or go up to the UP 
and both those areas have bears. So another reason to hang the food is that we don't want bears waking us up in our tent. We'd rather have them wake us up because they're trying to get into the tree 60 feet away from our tent. Yeah. So she, she learned some of those things either through prompting or through just uh, me trying to explain it to her in a gentle way that, you know, reinforces its importance, but also doesn't scare her into thinking that this is, you know, life or death type of situation either. Yeah. Interesting. You know, this podcast is really about like the, the parent kid interaction. And there, like you mentioned, when you started, there's a lot of like barriers and a lot of things that um, are at play. And I hadn't really thought about the participatory aspect, but it, it certainly makes sense in terms of, you know, m- most traditional Midwestern kind of sports are in the in the ball sports or the you know it's really hard to participate with your kid unless you're throwing the baseball around in the front yard kind of deal but to actually participate on the same team doing the same thing is is hard so there's that's probably a pretty natural barrier for a lot of parents but there is this big divide that especially we're seeing when it plays out is like the divide in parent and kid interests like one yeah we might both be interested in soccer and there's a barrier that we can't play at the same time unless we just get enough of our friends to go do a pickup thing but then from there like parents interest of like biking and uh, and taking your kids out like that disrupts like if i'm gonna bike like that's my my own time (laughs) and do i really want my six-year-old boys i have two six-year-old boys and i like to race mountain bikes and so i go out and train and i have limited time and in order to incorporate them, I have to like step back and that's hard too. How have you guys overcome some of that? Like have, have you always had this kind of bent or what was the handful of situations for you that this became a greater sense of awareness for and an effort that you tried to prioritize? Oh, well, when she was much younger, she's always been wanting to do daddy things. She's always been wanting to, to try to, you know, impress me. She's looking for uh, approval for things um, like a four-year-old or five-year-old would do. Um, I would say when she really got to be six years old, where a lot of stuff really picked up, and she started to able started to be able to come along and not, uh, you know, obviously I can't train for a mountain bike race with her, but she can keep up on most of the stuff over at Frankie now, um, relatively decent. So she has a big sense of accomplishment from it. Um, and one of the things that's always in the back of my mind, I actually brought a cheat sheet of quotes with me. Yeah. And uh, there was a child psychologist. Uh, actually, there is a child psychologist. He's still alive. But his name is Dr. Gaber Mate, I think is how you say his name. And one of his quotes I really liked was, the power to parent comes from the desire of the child to belong to you. And I have seen that play out so much with my own daughter, as well as the friends of hers that I have brought along on these trips. Um, I've taken one of her uh, best friends with me uh, rock climbing a couple times now. And she'll probably be joining us this summer for some backpacking trips. And to her, it makes such a huge difference to be involved in this group that I think that if we step back as parents and or people who work with kids a lot, and we're actually able to make them feel like they belong to our tribe, uh, then you have kids who not only are more receptive to the messages that you want to convey to them, but they really feel a sense of self-satisfaction that comes from being part of that group as well. And I think that's a lot of, you know, when we get into the teenage years, that's one of the things that Dr. Gaber Mate likes to talk about a lot, is that in the teenage years, if we don't have that solid foundation with the parent, then kids will fulfill that need to belong and that need to feel like they're part of a tribe elsewhere. And that's usually when kids get into, as parents will say, the wrong type of crowd. It's because we're not given the attention that they're desiring, so they're finding it somewhere else to be fulfilled. And it's natural for humans 
to want to have justification for what they're doing, want to have um, praise for the things that they're doing in life. And if they're not getting it from the adult mentors, they're going to get it from somewhere. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we get a couple of phone calls, a couple of different phone calls in Abraham Lincoln. I illustrated one in terms of like parents wanting like to know whether their kids are welcome here. And the answer is always yes, because anywhere you feel comfortable, you can parent there. And you will make the choices that are comfortable as a family unit. So, yeah, go go rake some leaves or mow some grass. And even if you go as a family unit, unit and dad is mowing the grass and mom's taking care of the kids and interacting with the homeowner, that's just as important as not, even if they're not quite at the age. And then, you know, introduce them to some tasks, like you're saying, like, you can do this, or you can take responsibilities or make play out of it. The other kind of question we get often and phone call we get often is from families that are parents that are calling us wanting to know if their you know teenage kid can can come and participate and volunteer with us. And the answer is always yes as well. And you know, the conversation at times will go towards, well, uh, what we're really wanting to do is have our kid just kind of show up and volunteer and because we want to help them learn like how good they have it or the importance of volunteering and some of those things. And... I, my response usually is, well, are you going to come along with, you know, we can help you find a project as a unit. And like, well, I'm not sure. I was really looking for an opportunity. And I'm like, well, yeah, we could probably do that. It might be a little bit hard logistically, but your kid's not going to quite develop the way you think it will uh, just through a couple of experiences on their own. Like this is lifestyle. Like it's important to start young and it's, they're, they're taking, they're going to follow the leader. And if you're not leading them into these projects, it's going to also just practically, it's going to be hard to, for them to learn what you want them to learn. And so you're kind of setting them up to fail uh, your expectations if you're not there to kind of process with. And I think that relates to what you're saying in terms of the disconnect once we get to those high school and uh, tough years. Um, I would say that one of the quotes I liked a lot that I brought along with me here, too, is from Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, you'll have to look her up to know exactly who, uh, who she is. But she has a quote on here. It says, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is aware of the power of silence. And in our busy lives that we have uh, in America today, where it takes both parents typically uh, out in the workforce to be able to make ends meet, um, they get home, they're tired, their kids have after-school activities that they're involved with. Um, the time that you have to spend influencing your child and trying to be a leader for them is so minimal. And then being an exhausted parent as well, trying to find the, the desire inside to step up and be that leader and do that hard work when everything else is pressing down on you for responsibility. Um, I think that quote, it really sums up, uh, unfortunately, the, the modern-day America is that we have lost the ability to really influence our kids because we are so busy with everything else. Uh, one of the things that's uh, great with my, with my daughter with NeighborLink is that um, she can't do the Tuesday night rides with me that I do with the group. She's not fast enough for that. She's only 10. But she does come to the hot laps races that they, they do in the summer, and she enjoys watching those. Hopefully this year she might actually do one of them. Yeah. But uh, I ride with the Team NeighborLink kit when I ride on the road, and I ended up getting her her own matching kit, and she was so proud of that. Uh, she's worn that when she trains with me on Zwift in the basement. Uh, she wears that sometimes when we go out on the road together. Um, she's, it goes back to that, what I said earlier, is that kids want to be part of your tribe. And for her to know that her and I are, are representing the same concepts, the same team, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and we're trying to talk about those values with people. Like I've, 
I've worn my NeighborLink jersey in Colorado when I've ridden out there before. And I've had questions from people like, what is NeighborLink? And it's a great conversational starter to say, you know, we're a group that tries to, to better our neighbors and, and help out people that need a little bit of a hand up on things and try to make our neighborhoods a better place to, to raise our kids and, uh, and to show people that you know, people care about each other. And you know, she has that same concept instilled by me too because she's asked what these things were and then she wanted to get her own jersey. And making her just a part of that, you know, that's, that goes a long way to, to building that bond that hopefully she'll carry into teenage years and adulthood as well. Yeah, wow, that's, that's fun. That's so exciting. And uh, I, yeah, I hope so too. My, my wife and I are... It's uh, been been on our own personal journey, and because we both, she's a social worker. Like it's, we're on a personal journey, and always trying to transform through these circumstances. And the more you spend time in in difficult situations, the more you do that, and that's a real core priority for us. And the way we talk to our kids, the where we moved, uh, sometimes the type of toys we buy them. Like we've gotten more uh, joy out of watching them like take the the tiny kid brooms around and. Uh, on their own of like them gravitating to them rather than the scooter and going and like just sweeping the sidewalk for 10 seconds or 20 seconds or whatever and seeing that. Uh, but it, it's, it is really hard because we want to have that bond and uh, we recognize that life is busy. And if we just make whatever these things are important in a transactional nature, it's going to be really hard. Uh, we have to make it a lifestyle and it's been uh, transparent it's, it's very convicting for me in terms of like when I get home and tired like you're saying and, and then to try to prioritize something in our neighborhood or good or uh, taking uh, taking my kids biking or running or and those types of things so it's always a it's always a challenge and I think that's hard but it sounds like you and I know I have definitely seen the rewards of being being engaged with my kids, but also seeing them kind of come to life. Like so often you can think that your kids aren't quite capable or they don't quite understand or they just aren't interested. But when you put them in the the right environment or you believe in them in some way, they'll take it and they run with it. And I'm always surprised. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. And, you know, this, looking back at some of the uh, stuff that we grew up with as kids, like the, the Goonies, for instance, yeah. a classic movie. Uh, a bunch of kids who really didn't like to be told that they were kids and they were going to make a difference. And I think that, you know, those movies that really moved us as children when we watched them, and we watch them now as adults, and we really think that, you know, this is just a great movie, it's great entertainment. But it's also very true to how most of us feel. Like when we were kids, we didn't like being told we were just kids. And we didn't like to be told that, well, you can't do it because you're, you know, this big or, you know, you're only 10. And I think that that plays true with, with all our kids now. Like your kids are picking up a broom and sweeping. Like they want to be part of your tribe. They, yeah. they know that that has to be done and they want to contribute. Now, you might look at the floor and think, well, that's not up to my standards. <laughs> sure. But they're helping out. And if they can feel that they're contributing to the family dynamic on that, then they're going to want to keep doing that. And as, as they get older and they get more better, or better motor skills and you know, that's eventually going to come and they're going to be doing that because they, they feel worthwhile to be part of the family to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That Goonies reference is, made me think of something last night. Like our kids are like our childhood, you and I are about the same age here. And I just remember you watch that movie and there's just like this radical independence and obviously a movie, but I just remember my childhood and being able to roam the neighborhood at the age that my daughter is, which is nine. Uh, or the boys and then things just seem 
so much more unsafe or we as parents over the last generation or so, or as we parent, like the controls on our children are much tighter. Like last night, uh, we were, you know, getting ready for dinner and our kids are outside and one of our boys kind of runs down the alley and he's gone and like, we're looking around, we can't find him. And, you know, he's 150 yards down the street at, you know, some other kid's house and perfectly safe. But like that idea, I used to be able to ride blocks and blocks of biking at that time. And so it is different uh, now. And it's good, good reminder as parents to like, Okay, we got to create space. We got to let, let them go. We got to take them to places where they can explore. And we find that mutual comfort zone of, of leading and uh, giving them their space. So, what are some of the other things that you feel like Kylie, your daughter, has been, been learning through this? You've been doing it a number of years with these trips from the last like four years or so, packing. And, and are you seeing behavior changes like at school or other different things? Like, what, what, what are some of the other things that? Yeah, I, I think that um, she definitely is at a maturity level, probably slightly, slightly beyond her peer group. Just to the fact that she, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it as a parent, because you know, at some point we want to protect our kids from innocence. Yeah. But she is very aware that things can go wrong and people can get hurt and die, and that she knows that very, very well. Um, climbing with me, she rock climbed. She got a chance to ice climb this year, so. You know, Does that make her more scared or does she just intellectually better understand and become more cautious in terms of, I need to be more, I need to pay more attention to this versus that scares me, I don't want to do it? I think it's the more attention part. Um, she has had a couple spots where she's gotten scared before, yeah. uh, especially climbing up and she's, she feels like she might get stuck and she needs to get let back down. So, you know, she has that, that, that fear factor that comes on, but... When she gets the time to collect herself back on the ground, she kind of realizes that, you know, I'm on a rope. I can't, nothing can really hurt, um, you know, and dad's on the other end of it. So she's, she's learning that, you know, there are, there are some risks and there's also, you know, some dangers involved in it. But if you try to think about all the different safety mechanisms that you have in place that, you know, things can be relatively safe. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly honest you can slip and fall when you get out of bed and that's the end of it so <laughs> yeah and that's just part of practice right like yep. you know going over you're not gonna just automatically be a good ice climber like you gotta the practice of going up just like you would practice anything else so correct yeah and, and she had such a blast with it and i was fortunate when i went up there for uh the yearly ice fest that they do up there the week before that i met some of the guides and became friends with them so the, the week later when i come back up with my daughter uh, it happened to line up with our schedules that uh, her and her two friends could also join us for a climb that day too. So that's great. Um, we had a, a guide up there from the Picture Rocks Climbing Academy that works specifically with kids under 18 to climb. Okay. And she wasn't paid as a guide service. It's just we became friends. It's like, hey, I'm going to be up with my daughter. Do you want to join us? She goes, yeah, I'd love to do that. And that made the day really worthwhile for my daughter because not only is she doing something very new, which is scary for a kid to do. Um, but she's also doing it with somebody who has experience working with kids and mentoring kids in that activity. So she made it a lot of fun for Kylie and, um, she brought Cheez-Its and that's always a good thing for kids. Nice. Uh, I imagine you're taking your, your daughter, uh, to places where there isn't a lot of other kids, right? Yeah. Um, she was the only kid that day, uh, when I was up at ice fest for the actual fest itself, I think I maybe saw two kids around her age that were there. Uh, but yeah, it's. You know, that and climbing, uh, rock climbing in general is probably 80 times larger than the ice climbing community. Yeah. Um, so both, and both communities are relatively tiny. Yeah. 
uh, when I go down to Kentucky with her to climb, uh, I'll see maybe a couple of the kids that are around her age. Uh, some of them have been doing it for years because they live down there and are really good at it. And yeah. others are, are just starting out. Uh, but I would say there's probably 60 or 70 adults for every one child you might see down there. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because you know some of the misconceptions or the fears that go along with this as parents. I think it's a lot of this is to recognize our own fears. There's there's this fear of, I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing, and so I have to learn, and I don't know this this group of people, and so there's a bit of an adjustment, and if I just show up and I'm uncomfortable, then I include a kid into that, then that's going to be kind of rough. So I need to kind of do it myself, which I think is necessary. You kind of vet this out and make sure you feel comfortable first before you you know add another element to it. But it is a fear that keeps people from engaging. The other aspect is like, hey, I'm going to show up and there's going to be 30 people rock climbing or 20 or whatever the event is here. And it's mostly an adult thing. And I'm going to be the guy or the, 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 the girl that is bringing their kids to this thing, and which isn't a kid's thing because it's not a kid's program. How, how are people going to receive that? Are we going to be in the way? Is it going to be a negative? What's been your experience? I find that it's usually more welcomed and more appreciated then it is a negative. Have you had that a similar experience? I have, and and actually all the activities that we've done, uh, you know, this the list them off just so we get them all out of the yeah. way here. She she backpacks, she skis, she rock climbs, she ice climbs. Uh, she likes to go uh, mountain biking with me. She's just starting to get into a road bike. Uh, actually, found a friend of ours who loaned us a forty three centimeter bike so she could fit on it. That's awesome. So and those are hard to find little yeah. kids bikes like that. Uh, so. She's been welcome in all those areas. And in fact, actually some of the more extreme things like the rock climbing and ice climbing, uh, the, the adults that we meet on those are usually like taken aback, like, wow, your kid is here and she's actually enjoying this. This is amazing. Yeah. And it's inspiring them that, you know, maybe I should talk to my niece or my nephew um, and see if they want to come. And the, the few parents that we do meet out there, because, you know, let's be honest, parents don't have a lot of time. So a lot of those activities go by the wayside. And the parents that used to climb uh, before they had kids now aren't climbing because they have kids they've yeah. given that up and so we don't see a whole lot of parents out there unless they have their kids with them which is kind of rare but it does inspire the people that we meet to bring uh family members or friends along with kids to do this because they see our my daughter out there and she's able to do it and she's actually having a fun time doing yeah. it yeah it's it's fun and there are compromises for sure like you can't necessarily and maybe you can you guys have learned and maybe as she gets older and more skilled but like you can't go out it as the way you would like to probably on your own. Um, but I, the value proposition is probably worth the trade off. Like, yeah, I, it's her and I just for rock climbing, we can't do together. Um, I can take her to like the YMCA's. There's two of them here in town that have walls at them that you can do climbing at. She can go climb those. I can take her down to the gyms down in Indianapolis and we can climb together down there. But outdoors, I really need to have another adult, to. To belay me, so yeah. I can belay her all day long, but sure. that gets that gets old after a little while, yeah. uh, especially for the long drives that we have because we live in Indiana. We don't have a, a huge uh, plethora yeah. of activities to do outside, so I always have to have another adult along for that. And it's going to be a couple of years probably until she is um, skilled enough as well as um, physically strong enough sure. to be able to do the other part of that. But she's practiced that with me already. Um, she has practiced that, and it terrified her because she knows that if she lets go of that rope dad could fall yeah. um but it's also taught her a lot of i think responsibility along the same lines 
And for everybody listening out there, she was completely backed up. Like even if she let go of the rope, she would not have dropped me. Yeah. But in her mind though, she knew that she like, when I belay her, if I drop the rope, she falls. So she thought if she drops the rope, she falls. Yeah. Or I fall, I mean. So, you know, that that ad- adult thinking that she had to pick up at that, that young age, um, I think it helps her be aware and kind of value what's going on with her too. Like one of the biggest benefits I get with her backpacking is the appreciation of nature. You know, we get to see so much out there that most people don't get to see. And if you just sit still in the woods for a half an hour, the animals come out. And you'll see squirrels run by and other kinds of things that you just don't normally see because they hear you and they run. Yeah. Yeah, and the, on the flip side of volunteering, some of the things we've been learning is you know, the most important aspects. Yeah, we get to do a fun activity together. But um, some of the things we've learned from our kids is like they're just – kids are just so much – more curious than we are as adults lifestyle whatever or they're at least uninhibited to ask about their curiosities and so when we go to volunteer they want to know the story of this person and why are we helping them and how why is this happening or how do we do this or that and whether they're asking us it's forcing us to have really good conversations about life and circumstances and diversity of people and situations but it also creates really great opportunities for kids to interact with other people and while as a parent sometimes you're like did they really just ask that uh you see the grace that happens when the interaction between our kids and and maybe the older individuals that we're we're serving at times and the grace of response and the truth and the transparency and the kids like getting it and so those are the fun conversations is all on the side thing of when we spend more time to kids and diversified experiences we're hopefully trying to expand their worldviews in some way obviously kids are still kids there are some challenges with this uh talk about like some of the some of the challenges you've experienced in terms of parent kid interaction um you know, you. I imagine on some of these trips, like especially a backpack trip, if it's overnight, like you're spending, you know, 24, 36 hours, sometimes longer together with a 10 year old. Like I know for my kids, like they need different activities. So what have been some of the challenges? Like if parents really kind of go this way that you've, you've seen and, or does it, is it really a lot different? Uh, I think it depends. Like one of the things that I've noticed with my daughter especially, um, I can't speak to a lot of other things on the backpacking side of this, yeah. but uh, she really appreciates being somewhere near water when we do backpack because mm-hmm. uh, it gives her a little bit of a diversity of, uh, of environment to be around. She can skip rocks uh, in a lake or in a river. Um, she likes to hop the river around. So you know, having that water near us while we're doing this kind of adventure kind of keeps the, the terrain a little bit different, so it keeps her interests. Uh, one of the things, though, that I would definitely say if parents are wanting to get involved, like I started my daughter backpacking when she was five. And when she was five, she carried her own water, and that was the only thing she carried. Um, if if you have not backpacked before, you probably don't know a lot of the, the quote-unquote rules, but uh, most backpackers are aware of the 25% rule, which you should not wear a backpack more than about 25% of your body weight. So a 180-pound man should not wear a backpack more than about 45 pounds. Otherwise, you start to get to the point where you're going to have muscle fatigue and possible injury if you, if you stumble and such, such like that as well. Same thing holds true for kids, but your kid weighs a lot less. So if you have a 60-pound kid, you don't have a whole lot of uh, weight that they can carry on their backpack for the 25% rule. And that's the maximum. They should not carry more than that. So 
that coupled with the fact that kids, I think, are a lot more sensitive to discomfort. You know, we go out there and we're like, okay, we're going to do this 25-mile hiking loop. Yeah. Or we're going to see this massive waterfall and this huge vista at the end. And we're gung-ho about that. But if you're getting blisters while we're doing it, we're like, that's part of the journey for us. Mm-hmm. Kids don't like that. Yeah. Kids don't want to have to endure any kind of discomfort at all to go see those things. Because if they do, they're not going to enjoy any of it. Um, and I've learned that with my daughter as well, is that, you know, try to make her as most comfortable as possible when you take her on these kind of journeys. Um, at the age of 10 now, she's starting to learn that there is a little bit of uh, pain for gain, essentially. You know, um, she gets blisters when she, when she rock climbs, so she'll get, you know, uh, skin torn on her hands. And she understands that, yeah, you know, I don't like this, this is uncomfortable, but if I want to rock climb, this is part of it. Um, and she's starting to learn that too for backpacking, where, you know, she'll, she'll be tired and she'll want to stop, but like, no, we have to go another half mile before we can pitch our tents. So those things come with time. And I think if you start them off young enough and make it so that most of the journey is very enjoyable at a younger age, when they get to be eight, nine, and 10, they start to realize that, yeah, these things are really worthwhile to see. But now because we're going further, it might be a little bit more discomforting. Um, We've done uh, just single overnights together. She'll actually be doing her first uh, multi-overnight with me this summer when we go out to Colorado. Uh, And she's looking forward to it. But I've broken her in with numerous multiple single overnights. And she's really really enjoyed those so far. Um, So hopefully, you know, going forward, she'll she'll enjoy the multiple overnights. And if she doesn't, then we'll just scale it back to single overnights again until she gets a little older. And just keep working from there. But I think the biggest thing to do is just, you know, make sure that you're enthusiastic the whole time and make sure that, you know, that enthusiasm is rubbing off on her and she's, she's comfortable. That's great. Uh, What's your daughter's personality kind of like? Well, before we started doing a lot of this stuff, she was very shy. Um, She did not like to talk to strangers. Uh, She would always kind of hide behind my leg if we did. Now, um, she'll sit there on the sidelines at a hot laps race and watch me race, and she'll talk to, to Aaron or Dylan sitting there and yeah. the, the things, uh, marking down the points uh, while I'm racing, and she won't care at all that there's no other adults that she really knows around. Yeah. So she's gotten quite a bit more open on stuff. Uh, a couple of years ago, we went to uh, St. Mary's Church um, for Thanksgiving, okay. and we volunteered down there, and she was... Uh, she got to, to hand out desserts. Okay. Well, she likes desserts. She's a kid, so yeah. kids like desserts. So she was really happy she got to hand out desserts. And it really made her feel good that everybody was very appreciative that she brought desserts around. Yeah. So like that really helped open her up to talking to all these different strangers in this yeah. day. And she was always looking over her shoulder to make sure she could see where I was. Um, so unfortunately, we really didn't add a whole lot of manpower to the soup kitchen because I had to kind of watch her to make sure she was comfortable with it. But I think it really opened her eyes to knowing that she's doing good by helping helping out on this day for these people. And that she's also getting a chance to talk to these people, too. Um, she didn't ask too much about stories when she was eight. Sure. But, but she did get to hear a little bit because they, they'd, they'd stop and talk to her and tell her, you know, thanks. I didn't have dessert for, you know, seven days, ten days okay. or whatever. So it really made her feel good that she was able to provide something that she really likes to people, too. Yeah. That was great. How do you feel like you've changed in the last couple of years because of doing all this activity, Jason? Um, I think that I have found a lot more self-satisfaction in knowing that I'm helping further the next generation of enjoyment in the outdoors. Like that's a big passion of mine is going out there and enjoying this type of stuff. And I, it was, you know, it's a natural progression as a parent to be able to have their kids pick up some of the things that they enjoy and take it to. But I think the biggest part of knowing, um, 
of the influence I'm having on stuff is helping other people's kids do this too. Um, I would say that probably started at first when I brought her best friend along. Her best friend never had opportunity to do this kind of stuff with before. And then when she got involved, she was so uh, lit up with excitement for doing this. And now my daughter, you know, goes to school and talks to her best friend with other kids there and tells them about how awesome some of this mm-hmm. stuff is. And now she's come back from school and say, hey, dad, so-and-so wants to know if they can go on our next journey with us. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know their parents, but, you know, maybe at some point we will. But it's, it's great to know that, you know, her enthusiasm is inspiring other kids in this next generation to go out and do this, where it is so easy for most people to say, here's an iPad, you yeah, know, sure. and ignore them. And I think that this is great that we have these kids that are getting influenced like this that want to involve their parents and go out and tackle these types of things with them. Yeah. All right. Are there any activities that you're now doing because she wanted to do them? Like, is she like coming up? Cause it sounds like a lot of these obviously are fueled by like parents, parent interest at times, especially if you're going to bring your kids along. Is she throwing out new ideas for you guys to consider? Um, the scheme was actually her idea. Okay. Uh, I wanted to see if she would be good at that. We actually did that when she was four years old. That was her first ski trip. But that is her favorite trip. If you asked her uh, what she enjoys doing most is skiing. Okay. And she actually will shake her fist at the dash when she sees it, say, 80 degrees on the car. She's like, it's so far away from skiing again. But, yeah, that's her favorite thing. And I introduced her to it, but it wasn't my thing until it became hers. Yeah. And now it's our thing to do. Cool. So you're working on this project called Adventuring Wildly. Tell the audience a little more about that. Where are you going with this? What all kinds of things are you, are you doing? Well, it's, I have a website, adventurewidely.com. Uh, on that site, I have blog entries. And I encourage people, if they have content, if they want to be a guest uh, author for it, let me know. Contact me on the contact form. But the goal is to try to break the barriers down of what it takes to get kids in the outdoors and some of the benefits for it. So I have articles on there about what you should do for your first time backpacking with a child. Um, articles on how you know mentally they, they grow and develop about this as well. Experiences that I've not only read from like Dr. Gabriel Mate, for instance, and other doctors, but also just my own witnessing uh, that I've seen from my child and her friends doing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, in part with that, I have a YouTube channel that talks about some of this stuff too and goes through uh, reviews of gear for kids. I think that's a huge missing spot in the industry. Like, if you look at some of the stats business-wise, uh, the outdoor industry in America, like REI, Moose Jaw, some of the, the huge outdoor retailers, that industry is growing faster than any other industry, really, um, in recreation that we have. Mm-hmm. And there is so little produced for children. And I think that really goes back to the fact that, you know, in order for kids to enjoy this, they have to be comfortable. Well, yeah. if the best that they're getting is the nylon uh, rain jacket at Walmart for $5, they're going to go out and sure, they're not going to have rainwater on them, but they're going to be drenched with sweat on the inside. And that's not comfortable and they're not going to have a good time. So finding good gear for kids is hard um, just because a lot of manufacturers don't make it. And I think that trying to get awareness of this and trying to get awareness at the fact that more and more parents are bringing their kids outdoors into this activity, I think uh, might help spur some of the manufacturers to start making some of this gear. And then the, the few that I do find, I try to give an honest review on my YouTube channel about it as well, trying to say, you know, how this worked for my daughter, yeah. um, whether it was worth the purchase or not. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, some of that stuff can be really beneficial, especially if you're not um, super into the outdoor activities yourself. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we'll link, uh, we'll link his website and YouTube channel in the, in the liner notes on this particular podcast so you guys can check in and follow up. 
Jason, we like to kind of end these kind of podcasts answer, asking the question um, through all your travels individually, maybe in the in the sports side of things, these trips. Like, what is it? What does it mean to be a good neighbor? I think a good neighbor. Um, there's multiple different things for it, and I think in the context of what we talked about today, I think the best thing about being a good neighbor is um, willingness to share your experiences and your joys, because there are so many things in life that can bring us down, and we can. We can look at the guy that comes up if you are downtown Fort Wayne, for instance, eating at one of the restaurants out there. More than likely, you've been approached by somebody asking for food. Um, and you can take two approaches with that. You can go, man, this guy's just begging for food. Or you can say, I'm blessed to be here eating on the sidewalk. I can share some food with him. And you know, not only do you get a good sense of accomplishment out of that, too, by helping somebody, but you, know, you also filled somebody's belly. So you're helping yourself um, grow as an individual and be more appreciative of the things that you have if you can have time to reflect on that. And you're also helping somebody else in the same manner. And I think that, you know, whether you're helping them in that regard or you're just helping uh, the kid down the street who sees you and your child doing these type of activities together, you're sharing your love and your joy and you're spreading that around. And I think that's part of being a good neighbor is just trying to share the good things in life rather than focusing on the negative, which is so easy to do in our society. Yeah. Man, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and uh, being an example for uh, incorporating your kids into your own lifestyle. We know a lot of parents do that in a variety of ways, um, but the more the more that we can do that, the, the better chance we have of um, developing our kids, I think, or at least have a better shot of trying to figure it out. Uh, if you are interested in any of this information, we would um, be happy to chat and I can connect you with Jason or at NeighborLink and check out Team NeighborLink. We have uh, a couple of opportunities and we always welcome kids to those. We have a kid cycling program we're starting here in the next couple of weeks. And then this hot laps that he mentions, uh, kind of a fun short track. It's kind of a, a racing kind of environment, but it's really welcome to kids to kind of come experience, ride, have fun. And if you're ever invited or see a team neighborlink kind of activity that's sports cycling running related, bring your kids, join. There is always a community that is welcoming and will slow down and incorporate it to make sure that it's a good experience for everyone involved. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Neighboring. We'll be back next week. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Jason.